We are living in a world where we are overstressed, overworked, overmedicated, and we're allowing anxiety, fear, and depression to run our lives. It's time we take a different kind of prescription to help remove our pain and get us back to living with the energy, focus, and enthusiasm that we all want to have. Every week, I promise to bring you education, strategies, and deep discussions that will help you become more resilient and eradicate stress-induced depression from your life. My name is Ryan Caligiuri, and welcome to The Resilience Prescription. Welcome back, everybody. This week's episode of The Cut the Crap Show. I'm your host, Ryan Caligiuri, and I'm so happy to bring you our guest today, Marshall Goldsmith. He's the author of Triggers, Creating Behavior That Lasts in Becoming the Person You Want to Be. Marshall, how are you doing today? Life is good. Life is good. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Yes, life definitely is good, and we're happy to have you here. So for those in uh, Cut the Crap Nation who haven't heard from you yet or don't know what you're about, give us a little introduction to who you are, what you do, and why you wrote Triggers in the first place. Well, uh, what I do is three things. I give talks or teach classes. I travel all around the world speaking and teaching, and I've been to 102 countries and on the American Airlines. I have over 11 million frequent flyer miles. Oh, my God. Got an exciting trip coming up this week. I'm flying to St. Petersburg, Russia, mm-hmm. and there are 50,000 people going to be in the audience. Wow. My goodness. So it's the biggest uh, leadership development program ever done. The speakers are Michael Porter, Randy Zuckerberg, me, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fantastic. So uh, that should be fun. Yeah. So I, I do speaking, and, and that's what I enjoy the most is the speaking part. What I'm most famous for is coaching. I'm the most famous executive coach. I've been the coach of the CEO Ford and Pfizer and Glaxo and the World Bank and Walmart and the Mayo Clinic and on and on and on. And what I love about coaching is that's where I learn everything. Mm. Uh, I'm supposed to be teaching these people, but I actually learn far more than I teach. And then I write and edit books and articles. So I have done, I've done 40 books. I've done three New York Times bestsellers. Triggers was one of those three. And, uh, and six overall bestsellers, and the other 34 were purchased by my mother, my father, and relatives. So. <laughs> well, we got we got a lot of opportunity for you to uh, continue coming on the show, Marshall. But uh, this one's one of the ones I put out a survey to our audience. This was maybe about six months ago, and uh, of the top books that people wanted me to review, and the authors that people wanted me to bring on the show feature on the show and you are one of them and triggers is one of them so uh cut the crap nation is gonna be excited to finally hear this book and hear from you on the show so it's a true pleasure having you on today my friend oh i'm so happy to be here you know and and amazon did a survey of the top 100 books ever written in leadership and success and Mm -hmm. triggers and my other book what got you here won't get you there were both on the list so that's right and both of those books ended up on the list as well so i gotta get you back on to talk about your other book (laughs) <laughs> right on. Well, thank you. So why don't we just kick right into this one? We're kicking into triggers. Yeah. And golden nugget number one I want to talk to you about. It's this idea of change. And we all know that we need to change, but it's really hard for people to change. So why is it in your experience that people rarely change? What's what's happening? Well, my mission, my mission is to help highly successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in behavior. And... Why is it so hard? Well, any human or animal will replicate behavior that's followed by positive reinforcement. And actually, the more successful we become, the harder it gets. Why? We fall into a trap called the superstition trap. It sounds like this. I behave this way. I am successful. Therefore, I must be successful because I behave this way. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. 
almost everyone I work with, well, we all behave the way we behave, and they're all successful. And they're all successful because they do a lot right or they wouldn't be there. They're also successful in doing some things that are stupid. And, you know, I've never met any... I've never met anybody that didn't have something on that in spite of list. Hmm. Interesting. So with regards to creating new habits to create change, what would you recommend people do who are perhaps, you know, their business isn't where it should be. Their health isn't where it should be. Their relationships, their finances, they're not where they should be. What kind of advice well, do you I'm give those people to change? I'm not an expert on finances. <laughs> I'm not an expert on health. I am an expert on interpersonal relations. And mm-hmm. what I do with my, all my clients is the same. I interview everyone around them and find out what are they doing well and what do they need to change. I develop a report. I go over this confidential feedback with them. They pick the things they feel good about. They pick the things they need to do better. If they're not the CEO, the CEO and board sign off on it. And then I teach them how to talk to people about what they learn, apologize for their mistakes, involve everyone around them in an improvement plan. And we follow up, follow up, follow up and Mm. measure and I have a unique billing system. I only get paid if they get better. Nice. And better is not judged by me or them. Better is judged by everyone around them. Isn't that interesting? So how does that work? So everyone looks at their success, their or their success. Everyone looks at their progress, and if they're making progress to, um, you know, maybe a set number of goals they have, maybe they have metrics in place. They're measuring every bit of change. Is that kind of what we're looking at? And maybe give me an example of something that maybe somebody would measure. <laughs> say you needed to be a better listener and better at giving positive recognition. Those would be two very simple ones, right? We'd have a simple scale to measure. How's this guy doing at listening? And how's he doing at recognition? Did he get better? How much better? Did he talk to you? Did he follow up? Has he been taking this stuff seriously? And did he get better? And you know, my research on this, by the way, if any of you would like to see a study about this, I wrote an article called Leadership as a Contact Sport. My email address is marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. Marshall has two L's. Send me an email. I'll send you a copy of it. But it's a study with 86,000 people, and the results are pretty hard to argue with. People that do this stuff get better. You know what else I learned? People don't do anything. They don't get better. (laughs) (laughs) There's no secret to success here. Hey, you got to put in the time. You got to put. You got to work. That's it, man. You got to work. You know, as I mentioned in Russia, I'm going to be working with our former governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hmm. He had a quote to describe this. Was his quote? He said, "Nobody got muscles by watching me lift the weights." <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Well, you got to lift the weights. You got to lift the weights. You got to go through adversity. You got to go through hardship. Nobody says that change was going to be easy, right? Nobody that's said right. change was going to. Change is hard, and I think that's maybe a big by, by reason the way, why. This is an excellent point. Everything I'm going to teach people a few simple techniques today. Love it. Very easy to understand. Just hard to do. Very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's very, very hard to do. I'm going to talk about, like, the daily question process. Well, we'll it takes there, three right? minutes a day, costs nothing, help you get better at anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem is, half the people quit in two weeks. That's right. Nice little teaser right. for people to keep listening, because we're going to get to yep. that one in particular. But before we, <laughs> we, we, we jump into some of those golden nuggets, I want to go to golden nugget number two, which is all about how do we take control of change? Um, you know, you obviously have a lot of experience with working with different individuals who have um, experience or levels of fear associated to change. How do we take control of that? Because control is one of those major pillars of resilience. And, you know, for people who tune into this show on a regular basis, they know that my whole focus is to help build resilience, help people become more resilient. Uh, That's our goal here. And control is one of those things that if we don't have it, 
you know, our resilience factor lowers. So when we start hearing about how to take control of change, change and control, those are two very important pieces there. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, one is you have to let go of your ego. Hmm. Because what happens is, you see, um, if I look at the major problems of the people that I work with, what are they? One is they try to win too much. Hmm. I mean, if it's important, we try to win. If it's trivial, we try to win. If it's not worth it, we try to win. We try to prove how smart we are all the time. And you really start asking yourself to take control. One question, is it worth it? One of my good coaching clients was J.P. Garnier. He was the CEO of Glaxo. I asked him, what did you learn about leadership as the CEO of this huge company? He said, I've learned a hard lesson. He said, my suggestions become orders. He said, if they're smart, they're orders. And if they're stupid, they're orders. And if I want them to be orders, they're orders. If I don't, they're orders anyway. <laughs> my suggestions become orders. I asked him, what did you learn from me when I was your coach? And I worked with him for a year and a half. He said, to be honest, you only taught me one thing that I remember. Hmm. Now, if he hadn't learned that one thing, he would have never been the CEO of Glaxo, so it was not a trivial thing. Mm-hmm. He said, the one thing he taught me was before I speak, breathe. I just asked myself one question, is it worth it? Hmm. And he said, as a CEO of this company, 50% of the time, if I had the discipline to start breathing and ask myself, is it worth it before I talked, what did I say? Am I right? Maybe. Is it worth it? No. Well, you know, you want to take control, start breathing. Hmm. And before you talk, ask yourself a question. Is it worth it? Wow. Is the person I'm talking to going to be more committed because of my comment or less? Am I the world's expert on this topic, or I'm just trying to prove how smart I am? Hmm. Is it worth it? And about not 100% of the time, but about half the time, it's not worth it. By the way, that's at work. At home, it's even more true. Before you talk, breathe. Is my comment going to improve this relationship with someone I love? If the answer is no, is it worth saying? Mm-hmm. Well, at work, as JP said, if you have to ask, about half the time it's not worth it. At home, if you have to ask, it's almost never worth it. Mm-hmm. That's There is power in the simplicity of that point right there. I love that. Number one, just taking a deep breath. Because oftentimes we get so emotionally charged. Our ego gets up there and you know we get angry. We want to attack. We want to jump. But just taking a moment to breathe... Well, calm us down. It gives us an opportunity to let logic take over a little bit more than emotion. But then asking ourselves a very simple question of, is it worth it? Gives us a chance just to think for a second. And it kind of interrupts our, our, maybe our monkey brain, our emotional pattern. And I really, really like that. It's a great technique, very strong technique to take control. I love that. Appreciate you sharing that with us. You know, you mentioned control. One of the greatest leaders ever met is a woman named Frances Hesselbein. She retired after 14 years as national executive director of the Girl Scouts. Peter Drucker said she's the greatest leader he ever met. She won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She has a good saying about control. She said, the second I lose control, the problem is no longer out there. The second I lose control, the problem is now in here. Mm, I like that. I really like that. I'm going to use that one. And I've never, I've never, I've never heard of Frances. I'm going to have to look her up then. Seems oh, like she's an amazing woman. Seems like I'm missing something. She's an amazing, yeah. amazing woman, yeah. Wonderful. I love that. Well, Marshall, I'd really like to start getting into the meat of this book. Triggers. What are these things? What are these things you call triggers? What is this about? Introduce us to this topic. A trigger is any stimulus that might impact our behavior. It could be a sight, a sound, a word, a smell, a person. Any stimulus that may impact our behavior is a trigger. And we all make these grandiose plans for life. You know, every day we wake up with this sheet about all these wonderful things we're going to do, and 
well, I have this great image about this person we're going to become. Well, what happens? Where do we go off the rails? There's only a somewhat positive correlation between this person we dream about becoming and this person shows up every day. Well, as we journey through life, we're bombarded by triggers. And sometimes these triggers push us toward becoming the person that we want to become. In most cases, just the opposite. It pushes us away from becoming the person that we want to become, pushes toward becoming that person that we don't want to become. Hmm. You know, there's a great way to look at uh, behavior in the sense of different schools of thought. You know, uh, one school of thought is the external school and one is the internal school. The internal school is I am responsible and my whole success or failure is all about me. And, you know, the epitome of this is a ridiculous book called The Secret. The Secret, which sold 7 million copies, one of the most ridiculous books ever written. The woman said, if I envision it, it will happen. Well, they've engaged in a classic mathematical mistake. They interviewed successful people, and she said, well, successful people envision this, and it happened. Therefore, if you envision it, it will happen. Wrong. She interviewed the cancer survivors, and they envisioned the cancer would go away, and it did. Well, there's no research to prove that works. She interviewed Hollywood stars, and they envisioned being stars, and now they are. She didn't interview the dead people, and she didn't interview the thousand actresses who all envisioned being movie stars. Mm -hmm. So I think it's great to envision stuff, but to naively believe I envision it's going to happen is just insane. Mm. The opposite is B.F. Skinner, the famous Harvard psychologist. He said, we have no control over our lives. We're 100% the victim of triggers in our environment. We're like a, like a a pinball just bouncing back and forth, being buffeted around. Well, my book triggers what I think is we do have some control over our lives. We're not victims. We're not hopeless. On the other hand, we don't have total control over our lives. We're not gods. We are influenced by the environment. So the whole idea of the book is just to move that equation a little bit more, a little bit away from I'm being controlled by the world around me, and a little bit more into I'm controlling that world, a little bit less into everyone else is deciding who I am, and a little bit more into I'm deciding who I am. Hmm. That right there is, uh, that comes down to a key philosophy when it comes to building resilience and the fact that people who are not resilient, they don't believe that they have a lot of control. Now, there's different types of control. You have external control, internal control, my my internal control meaning how I respond to certain stressful stimuli or whatever that stimuli may be in in my environment. Um, Right. And if we believe that we don't have control, then we really don't have very much hope to to change or create a lot of change in our lives because we believe that we are victims and life happens to us, doesn't happen for us. And if that's the case, then, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much victims in this game. And uh, you are, as you said, you know, just... Um, one of those like little little whatever you call it, ping bongs in a pinball game kind of thing, and we're just going yeah, back yeah, and yeah. forth. But I I side more with you on that, and I say you know I do believe that it's a balance, and the fact that there's a lot that we don't control, um, we can control our response to that, and there's a lot that we can control that can help shape and guide our lives. Now that's not to say that that. that plan that we set out to achieve isn't going to uh, necessarily shift it's not going to be disrupted it's going to happen but again how do we change we got to do our we got to do our best to take control of our lives and it's never going to be easy right life is filled with adversity um, I forgot who was the one that said that it might have been Drucker but our world is constantly filled with problems right you have problem waves of problems problem 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 crisis problem 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 <laughs> crisis problem problem cri- and our life is filled with them right we're never going to be completely rid of problems so on our path to change we're going to come to adversity we're going to come to problems crises but it's all in our ability to control that so my question to you now is what are some techniques 
that we can use to help us take control of our lives to drive positive change. One of them, you say, is um, creating a coping plan. What, right. What's a coping plan? Well, if you look at a trigger, once we, first is becoming aware of your triggers. Get a sense of awareness. What are the things that trigger me in the wrong direction? For example, if you want to quit drinking, quit going to bars. Hmm. You want to quit smoking, quit hanging around people who smoke cigarettes. You know, what are these triggers in the environment that tend to throw me off? And then the first thing is learn how to anticipate. When might these triggers occur in, our, in my life? And then once you anticipate, the next thing you do is avoid. If it's a negative trigger, try to avoid it if you can. You don't want to gain weight. Take the food out of the house, right? Try to avoid these triggers. But if you can't avoid it, then you need to learn to adjust. And you need to realize, you know, this particular trigger historically has set me off in the wrong direction. There's no reason to believe that unless I work at it, tomorrow's going to be any different. I'm going to need to be aware of the fact that this is going to happen. I'm going to need to learn to adjust my behavior and, if possible, even get help to help me get through this so that I'm not controlled by this external stimulus. By the way, to the degree we can, that we do see coming. When people have so many challenges going on in their life, Marshall, like they just feel like their whole their whole business or their whole um, lives are kind of crumbling down around them. They might have mm-hmm. multiple negative triggers that, that are, mm-hmm. are, are competing for their mind right now. How do right. you help people who have so many different negatives going on in their life? Where do you start? How, how do you help somebody like that? I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I have a woman named Jasmine call me every day. Mm-hmm. Every day she listens to me read questions I wrote every day and provide answers I wrote every day. Somebody said, why do you do this? Don't you know the theory about how to change behavior? I wrote the theory about how to change behavior. Why do I do this? My name is Marshall Goldsmith. I got ranked number one leadership thinker in the whole world, number one coach in the whole world. I have a woman call me every day just to listen to me read questions I wrote and provide answers I wrote every day. Why? My name is Marshall Goldsmith. I'm too cowardly to do this by myself. I'm too undisciplined to do this by myself. I need help. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's okay. okay. We all need help. Once we get over that egotistical crap about I can do everything on my own, life is better. (laughs) Let me tell you one thing I'm proud of about the book Triggers. You saw it. 27 major CEOs endorsed the book. Mm -hmm. 27. Mm -hmm. Now, why am I so proud of that? 30 years ago, no CEO would admit to having a coach. That's right. It would have been ashamed to have had a coach, embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Today, these 27 people say, hey, my name is Francis Hesselbein. I'm, I won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I need help. It's okay. Hey, my name's Alan Mulally. I was CEO of the year in the United States. I need help. It's okay. My name is Hubert Jolie. I was number two CEO of the year in the United States. I need help. It's okay. I'm president of the World Bank. I need help. Mm-hmm. We all need help. How many of the top ten tennis players have a coach? Mm-hmm. I think it's ten? ridiculous. Yeah, all of them do. Every single one of, of them. Do. They usually have multiple coaches. Of Why? They. they need help. We all do. We I all need do. help. How about you? Do you occasionally need a little help? Always. Tons of help. Tons of help. And I think that's maybe why I need need lots, Marshall, I tell (laughs) you. But it's funny because I myself, just as you are a coach, but us, we coaches, we need coaches, right? People laugh laugh when the therapist needs a therapist and they say, oh, why? You can't do your own therapy on yourself? It's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. We all need help. And like you said, this is the second time you've pointed it out. And it's such an important point. Drop the ego. That ego is not helping you. It's hurting you. It's hurting yeah. your ability to, de- to develop into a higher being. It's hurting your ability to change, to grow, to evolve. 
And if we don't get rid of that ego, that ego is going to stunt our growth. And I argue that, 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 it, that it does. And I, I love that you, you, you made that point because I feel that sometimes people feel that um, to ask for help is to be too vulnerable and to be vulnerable is to be weak. And that's just not true. And I love that you made that point very strong, very boldly to say, no, look at the world's greatest athletes, the world's greatest executives, the world's greatest coaches. They all need coaches. Every single one of them need help. And it's okay for you to need help as well. Exactly. You don't have to be ashamed. Absolutely. Now, you, I want to touch on this point because you were just talking about that, where you get on the phone every single day and you ask questions. I want to talk about this a little bit more because you mentioned this in the book, was that understanding active and passive questions. Talk to us about the value of those and the power of active well, and passive questions. First, I'm going to start with the process itself, and then I'll go into the active and passive. Perfect. The process itself is called the daily question process, and everyone listening to me can do this yourself. And... If you want an article about it, my own questions, send me an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. I'll send you all my questions and an article about it. It's a very simple process. Get out a spreadsheet. On one column, you write down a series of questions that represent what's most important in your life. It could be friends, family, coworkers, health, customers, whatever it is for you. Everybody writes their own questions. Then every question must be answered with a yes, a no, or a number. Yes is recorded as a one. No is recorded as a zero or a number. And then at the end of the week, that spreadsheet will get and seven boxes across, one for every day of the week. At the end of the week, that little spreadsheet will give you a report card. Now, I'm going to warn your listeners in advance, that report card at the end of the week might not be quite as beautiful as that corporate values plaque you see stuck up on the wall. I've been doing this for years. When you do this, you quickly learn one thing. Life is incredibly easy to talk. And life is incredibly difficult to live. When you do this every day, you don't just get to look at those talk values. Those are pretty. You get to live with those live, look at those living values. Those are seldom quite so beautiful. And I'll share some of my questions, but they're not intended to be anybody else's because the idea is you write your own. Mm-hmm. One of my daily questions every day is, you know, how many times yesterday did you try to prove you were right when it wasn't worth it? Well, you know, it's kind of hard for that old professor not to be right all the time. I, I don't see too many zeros on my scorecard. How about you? How do you think you would do on that? How many times did you try to prove you were right when it wasn't worth it? So, yeah, young coach there ever fail on that one? Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> just a tad. Just a bit. <laughs> Another one is how many angry or destructive comments did you make about people yesterday? Well, again, I don't see enough zeros on that one either. <laughs> hey, we want to treat people with respect. Why do we keep stabbing them in the back? Hmm. How many steps did you take? How many push-ups? How many sit-ups? How much do you weigh? Did you say to something nice your wife, your son, your daughter, your grandkids? How many minutes did you write? Just questions about life. My friend Jim Moore would tell you this process saved his life. Hmm. It didn't kind of save his life. It did save his life. One of his questions is, uh, are you currently updated on your physical exam? Oh. First day first time he did this 90 days in a row he said no every day he finally said this is embarrassing i gotta get the dumb exam or quit asking hmm. so he gets the dumb exam and the doctor says you got cancer wow. now he's going to be fine that was many years ago the doctor said had you waited seven more months you'd have been dead wow. he knew he should have got the exam he was 65 years old at the time chief learning officer of three multi-billion dollar companies he wasn't stupid he knew he should have got the exam but he didn't do it Hold a mirror in your face every day. You know, it's hard to hide. It is. And you know what I've learned from doing this exercise for 20-something years? I've learned, I've found that 
a secret to finding the source of almost all my problems. I just have to look one place in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to find out where my problems are coming from. Look at that guy. There's about 95% staring at me right there. That's where most of my problems come from. They're not somebody else's fault. It's mostly me. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's true for all of us. Now you mentioned active questions. Mm-hmm. I went to a program at the National Academy of Human Resources, and they had the top HR people in the world there. And when three of them made a presentation on employee engagement, you know, and it's everything you knew about employee engagement. And they talked about all this nice stuff like uh, empowering people and training and, you know, stuff I'd heard for 30 years. And after, then they said, you know, in spite of all this work, employee engagement's near an all-time low. I'm thinking, well, if you're all so smart and you've been doing this 30 years, how come it's not getting better out there? Then I realized 100% of the dialogue on employee engagement is what the company can do to engage you, not what you can do to engage yourself. John Kennedy made a great speech. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. Everything in employee engagement was exactly the opposite of the John Kennedy speech. I'm thinking, you people are missing half of an equation. I started discussing this with my daughter Kelly, and this is where active questions come in. She said, my daughter Kelly, she uh, was on Survivor the third season oh, wow. in Africa. She got a Ph.D. from Yale, and now she has tenure. She's a senior faculty at Vanderbilt. Very cool. So I'm going over this with Kelly, and Kelly says, you know, Dad, everything on this employee engagement is a passive question. If you ask people a passive question, like, do you have clear goals, and they have a negative response, they blame the environment. Do you have clear goals? No, well, why not? They're confused. Do you have meaningful work? No, they make me do trivia. Do you have a best friend at work? No, they're a bunch of jerks. You blame the environment. Kelly taught me active questions that begin with the phrase, did I do my best too? So what's nice about these questions, you can't blame someone else. So my first six questions every day are, number one, did I do my best to set clear goals? Did I do my best to set clear goals? Number two, did I do my best to make progress toward achieving my own goals? Number three, did I do my best to find meaning? Rather than saying, did someone else give me meaning? Did I do my best to find meaning? Did I do my best to be happy? Did I do my best to build positive relationships? And did I do my best to be fully engaged? Rather than saying, did the company engage me? Did I work to engage myself? Well, our research on this is amazing. We've done studies with thousands of people, and just by asking yourself these questions every day and testing yourself, um, I think it was um, about 34% of the people got better at everything. 67% said I got better on uh, at least four items. 91% said I got better on one. 9% said no change. Almost nobody gets worse. Why? Every day the questions get me to focus on the one thing in life I have control over. Did I do my best? Hmm. And, you know, you can't blame somebody else for that one. If I didn't do my best, it's not your fault. That's me. Well, it really gets people to take responsibility for their own lives. And the, the research on this is amazing. Again, if you want an article, I can send you the study. I definitely want to read that. I think the key piece to all of this, everything that you've talked about so far here, Marshall, is it gets us off of autopilot. And I think that autopilot is such a killer. And the fact that our minds, we just kind of let it wander. We let it go wherever the day takes us. Our day runs us. We don't run our day. And everything that you're doing here is about taking an active role in your own life to keep yourself accountable. You've mentioned it, looking in the mirror. A lot of us don't want to look in the mirror because it's a scary place to look. 
Right? I'd much rather blame because it's easier for me to blame somebody else for my problems than it is to take responsibility for my problems. But everything oh, that you've, of course, but everything you've mentioned here is about us becoming an active participant in our own lives. And I feel that far too often we aren't an active participant. And the fact that we are just on autopilot and we just take whatever comes to us and, oh, life is hard and, oh, life is bad and, oh, life just happens to me. We've talked about this already on this episode. And I think all of these pieces here, the questions that we ask ourselves, right, how we score ourselves, all of this comes down to us becoming active participants in our own lives. And I, and I think that by doing this, if you were to take this challenge for 90 days, you would realize dramatic improvement in your life just because of now the fact that you're paying attention to certain things. And now you're actively trying to make your life better every single day. Um, this is it's 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 simple and it works. And I think it works because it is simple. And it's hard to do. Extremely. Let me explain why it's hard to do. Uh, half the people start doing this quit within two weeks. Mm. And they don't quit because it does not work. They quit because it does work. It's very hard to do this. Why do I have a woman call me every day? I don't do that just for effect or to try to be funny or cute. I do it because I know how hard it is. It's very hard. It takes a lot of courage to look in the mirror every day. Courage, number one. It takes a lot of courage to do this. And by the way, anyone that says this is easy, you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody's done this to say it's easy. It's hard. Number two, it takes, it takes humility. Mm-hmm. Back to what you said about ego. It takes humility. You know what I've learned in my job as a coach? If someone is perfect, there's nothing I can do to help them get better. That's right. You've got to have some humility and admit, yeah, I can improve here. And then it takes discipline. Yes. To do the day, Arnold Schwarzenegger, to do that day, today, today, hard work. you got to lift those weights every day. Mm-hmm. And the reason this is so hard to do is it takes three minutes to go through a bunch of questions and answers. That doesn't take long. It's not very difficult to do that. What's hard is all that work you promised to do before the three minutes that you didn't do. Mm-hmm. And then facing the reality of, wait a minute, I said I was going to eat this food. I didn't. I said I was going to work out. I didn't. You know, I said I was going to be nice to my family. I wasn't. Mm. That's what's hard. Yes. It's facing that reality of our own lives. That's right. It's if you do it, though, guess what? There's good news. You get better. Mm-hmm. And you can get better at almost anything. Let me give you the hardest question you can test yourself on every day. The hardest question you can test yourself on every day has four qualities. Number one, you write the question. Now you might say, why is that hard? You can't blame the idiot that wrote the question. You write it yourself. <laughs> Number two, you know the answer. Well, why is that hard? You can't say you don't know how to do it. You know it's important. And all you got to do to make a high score is try. You don't even have to succeed. Mm-hmm. Active question, did I even try? Well, pretty much every day I fail at least one out of my questions. That, you know, I wrote that question, and I know it's important, and, and uh, I didn't even try why is that hard? One thing you've said a few times, you have to take personal responsibility then. That's right. And you cannot blame someone else. That's exactly right. What do you do to people? When, when I said it was easy, I don't, I don't want to, to step out of turn here. When I say it's easy, I mean it's easy to ask yourself the question. It's harder to take, yourself, to take action and to look in the mirror and to improve. That's the hard work. That's the hard. That's part. the hard part. Yeah, you can ask yourself the question and be like, "Hey, I did it," but then every day you're facing the reality of, "Oh, I missed, I missed expectations. I'm not keeping myself accountable." Well, most of us won't even ask the questions. Mm. Yikes! Why? It's embarrassing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have a woman call me up every day. It's embarrassing. I can tell you, mm. I screw up something almost every day. No kidding. 
Then what do you? Yeah, think? every day I make mistakes. I screw things up, and I keep thinking I'm going to slide through a few days where I don't do anything wrong. Not so much. <laughs> Welcome to being a human. <laughs> That's it. So, what do you do to the people who, you know, after two weeks they give up? Right? Are you trying? Do you do you allow them to figure it out for themselves, or do you try to coach them to create more pain to staying the same and create more pleasure to changing? How do you help people through that lull as they get started? Well, now again, I'm not making value judgment for anyone else. Right. I'm just speaking for myself. Fair In my job, I don't get paid if my clients don't get better, hmm. and better is not judged by me or them; it's judged by everyone around them. So, there's a great way to test this on blues. What they're saying: ask them one question: Do you want to bet on it? If the answer is, well, I believe it, but I don't want to bet on it, they don't believe it. They say, here's the money, and they believe it. I bet on what I do every time. So I'm not, I don't really do a whole lot of converting people to do anything. Hmm. See, the people I coach are incredibly successful people. I can't make them do what they don't want to do. I just lay it out and say, look, here's what you said you want to get better at. I get paid if you do that. I don't get paid if you don't. And if you don't give a shit, I don't give a shit. Hmm. I'm not here. I'm not your father. I'm not your mother here. I'm not here to. I've learned a hard lesson in my job as a coach. My name is Marshall Goldsmith, not Jesus Christ. I'm not in the conversion business here. I only work with adults who are very successful and want to work hard to get better. And if they don't want to work hard, it's okay. I'm not here to judge. What do I say? Fine. Don't. I mean, nobody's starving to death here. Don't. On, On the other hand, don't waste my time. That's right. Love that, man. I love that. Very convicted in your answer there. Very, very true. And again, you got to make the decision to want to change. If you don't want to change, then don't come to me. It's, it's it. just like and anybody else. And by the way, they, here's what I've learned. See, years ago, the client I coached that I spent the least amount of time with improved the most. Hmm. And the client I spent the most amount of time with didn't improve at all. And they didn't get paid. <laughs> this is a very humbling lesson. Yes. But people with background in mathematics, you say, I made a chart. On one dimension, it's called time spent with Coach Marshall Goldsmith, and the other dimension is called improvement. Hmm. Well, there seemed to be a negative correlation between spending time with me and getting better. <laughs> well, I thought this is a humbling chart. Hmm. So I go talk to my client I spent the most amount of time, at least amount of time with, excuse me, improved more than anybody else. He was ranked 2014 greatest uh, CEO in America, number three greatest leader in the whole world, and only the Pope and Angela Merkel. His name's Alan Mulally, who was the CEO of Ford. So Alan goes to Ford, the stock is at $1. He left it at $18.40. And he didn't take government money. He's an amazing guy. Hmm. And I'm writing a book with him now. So I go to my friend Alan. I said, Alan, of all the people I coached, I spent the least amount of time with you, and you improved the most, and you were great to start with. I showed Alan my chart. I said, Alan, the way this troubling chart looks, had you never met me, you'd really be good. (laughs) (laughs) So I asked my friend Alan, what should I learn about coaching from you? He said, you know, Marshall, you got one job as a coach. It's called customer selection. You pick the right customer, you win. You pick the wrong customer, you lose. Your, Your process always works with the right customer, never works with the wrong customer. And he said, don't make coaching about yourself and your own ego and how smart you think you are. Make it about those great people you work with and how proud you are of them. Then he said, as a CEO of Ford, my job wasn't that different. He said, I don't design the cars. I don't build the cars. I don't sell the cars. I have great people. He said, every day I drove to work, I tell myself, you know, leadership's not about me. It's about them. Well, for the great uh, achiever, it may be all about me, but for the great leader, it's about them. And for the great coach, this is what I've learned. It's not all about me. Hmm. It's about them. 
first thing I tell my coaching clients is, I don't get paid if you don't get better, and I do not get paid because I'm a great coach. I do get paid because you're a great client. Mm. Don't make it that. about me. Don't make that. it about That's right. It's not my life, your life. What a great point to end on, my friend. Again, that was triggers, creating behavior that lasts, becoming the person that you want to be. Marshall Goldsmith, you're an absolute pleasure, my friend, and a breath of fresh air. And it's it's an honor having you on the show. And uh, for anybody who wants to get in touch with you or follow you along on your journeys to uh, St. Petersburg, how can they go about following you or connecting with you? A couple of things. One, I give all my material away. It's all online. You may copy, share, download, duplicate, use whatever you want. My website has two, three hundred videos, www.marshallgoldsmith, marshallhas2ls.com. And then um, that's my website, number one. Number two, send me an email, marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, at marshallgoldsmith.com. If, uh, I do most of the stuff on LinkedIn. I have 1.3 million followers on LinkedIn, so just go to LinkedIn. I can't have any more connections because I'm out of those, but you could be a follower on LinkedIn, see all my material every week. Oh, and one final thing, I didn't tell you this, I'm adopting people. I have a new program where I adopt people. I teach them all I know for free. And the only price is when you get old, you have to do the same thing. Uh, I made a little video and put it on LinkedIn. 18,000 people have applied for adoption. I've now applied. I'm adopted 180. So interested in getting adopted, send me an email, marshall at marshallwilsman.com, and say, here's why you should adopt me. Here's who I am with your background. And then here's how I plan to give, give it forward, pay it forward to others. Fantastic. Again, Marshall, so many ways to connect with you. I'll put all that in the show notes. You can connect with Marshall. You can grab all those amazing resources, but at least connect with him on social media at the very least. Get that positive stimulus coming into your life every single day, and uh, it'll make you better. But Marshall, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, my friend, and I cannot wait to get you back on again. And uh, safe travels in St. Petersburg. Well, thank you. It was great fun to talk with you. 